1: and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Euphoric, the innovative, patented, hemp oil-infused chewing gum that the entire CBD industry is talking about. By Effitude, makers of the world's most comfortable and sustainable bedding made from organic bamboo and by Killer Knowledge... The latest program from our friends at the Podcast Network. The perfect addition to your weekly true crime and horror podcast lineup. I'll be back after each of our stories tonight to tell you a little bit more about each of our sponsors, including some special offers they have for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, settle in. Get cozy. and Prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin.
2: (laughs) It's time to turn off the lights and turn
3: on the dark. Chilling Tales for Darkness.
1: Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of four rounds of frightening fiction about spectral sailors, frightening footage, malfunctioning memories and Paranormal Pursuits. I'm Otis Jiry, host of the Scary Stories Told in the Dark podcast, now in its fifth season. My show is available on iTunes and wherever podcasts can be found, and tonight I'll be filling in as host on behalf of my good friend Steve Taylor, and I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actor talents Alex Hill Knight, David Nagel, Julio Cesar Miranda, and Jack Delmar, all of them top performing contestants and second round competitors in Chilling Tales for Dark Nights 2019 Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition. If you enjoy their performances tonight, Visit our YouTube channel and vote on theirs and the other entries in the competition. The second round is on now and the first handful of entries have been posted, but there's plenty more to come and plenty of time to vote and help decide who advances. So check out our channel and join in the deliciously dark fun yet to come. Again you can find CTFDN and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Knights" YouTube on any search engine or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation bar to see a current roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performances thus far. We and the candidates appreciate your support. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the (laughs) dark. Our first tale tonight is written by an author who prefers to remain anonymous and is voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 15, Alex Hill Knight. In it, we'll meet a band of sailors dedicated to investigating what lies beyond the borders of the known world and the unbelievable events that transpire within the legendary fear-inducing mist. Without further ado, I present to you Beyond the Veil.
4: We had been sailing for months after departing from the port of Whitehill, and had left even the most remote hunting grounds of the whalers behind weeks ago. The charts put us northeast of the forsaken islands, but their bleak shores were not our destination. Our route led us farther north than most men had ever sailed, across the desolate black waters of the northern sea. What a fool the captain of the ship we pursued must have been to believe the unhinged claims of the priestess. There was no warm summer sea hidden by ice, no uncharted passage, no prophesied land for our people to settle. We were alone out here, so far from any known shores that not even the gods could watch over us anymore. The rough formations of the icy mountains and their fluctuating shapes were mightier than the Sea Mother and the blizzards and fog-banks obscured the Skyfather's eyes. Yet the captain was the son of a wealthy guildsman whose ancestry traced back to the age of the old kings. And when he didn't return from his foolish voyage, it fell to me and my crew to find him, or his body, in this forsaken place. The fog-banks grew thicker the further we sailed, the closer we came to the veil of the World. Only few ships had ever crossed this ghostly barrier, and even fewer had returned from the uncharted waters beyond, said it to be more dangerous and mysterious than the cold eastern sea. The veil marked the end of the known world, and past it lay lands and oceans mortal men shall not wander, the dark, hostile realm of something else. Legends spoke of creatures no man could fathom, of unnatural storms and swells, of impenetrable fog shrouding the waves like the cold breath of giants, of the sea itself being alive. Yet here we were, bound for the unknown and the unknowable, looking for a lone ship in the perpetual twilight of a strange, portentous world. My men prayed when we entered the fog of the Vale, asked gods who could not hear them for safe passage through the ominous white shroud, I did not join them. We were out of God's reach, blind and at the mercy of a world no man should enter. Around us, amorphous icebergs and floes groaned and moaned, ice creaking as if mountains were shattered in the distance. And yet there were no mountains. None we could see, invisible dangers hidden in the thick mist. More than once, we barely evaded collisions, adjusting our sails when it was almost too late. For an entire day that felt like an eon, no winds blew at all, and we were adrift in unknown, unseen currents. The few sailors who had returned from voyages past the Vale estimated it took four or five days to emerge on the other side of the fog bank, but I can neither confirm nor deny this claim. All I know is that we made it through in one piece that the veil spit us out into an endless night. In all my years at sea, I have never seen a comparable phenomenon. Behind us, a seemingly infinite foggy wall of white stretched from horizon to horizon, dividing us from the realms known to men. And before us lay the deepest, blackest waters I have ever beheld, the great unknown a different world where beings like us were not welcome or wanted. There were islands here, this was true, but no men would ever settle. In the warm twilight of a hidden moon, frozen mountains emerged from the water, bizarre formations that seemed to remain at the same distance, no matter in which direction we sailed. Some islands were flat and small, barely matching the length and width of our ship, pallid grey rock with sharp, treacherous edges, carved by the winds of a merciless sea. Other times we passed by tall cliffs on the shores of enormous land masses, jagged walls of a fortress built by giants that looked upon us, the invaders, the way men looked upon insects. Insignificant, not worth true attention, a mere nuisance that would be gone with a swat. If the captain we chased had made it this far, there was no conceivable way we'd find him alive. It was a miracle we hadn't run aground when we passed through the veil. that unseen forces had guided us through the hazards hidden in its fog. But our restored sight only revealed desolation and this terrible vastness of darkness and ice. There was no vegetation here. The frozen shores were hostile and barren. A ship lost in this world would not find food or timber to make repairs or feed fires, and only a madman would dare eat the spoils of the sea. We had cast our nets after breaking through the veil, more out of curiosity than need or hunger. They had yielded nothing but strange, deformed creatures. Only a few resembled fish, and even those had too many fins, lacked eyes or grew appendages from peculiar places. We threw them back without a second thought, a choice not a single man has come to regret. The further we delved into this ominous world, the more often we spotted strange lights in the sky and the sea. A faint glow, emitting from blurred shapes of all sizes, moving in erratic patterns just beneath the waves. I don't know what it was that lurked under the water, and I don't care to find out but it stands to reason that we were better off eating the cured meat from our barrels than taking our chances with these things. It was neither hunger nor darkness that frightened us most, nor was it the knowledge how far the winds had carried us from familiar shores. It was the ominous feeling that we were not alone in this cold desolation, the northern sea being not as still as expected. There was a baleful melody in the gale, droning, almost unheard, but ever-present. A dirge of frozen mountains that moaned under the weight of the ice, the creaking of eons' old glaciers, the wails of lost souls echoing from the most terrible corners of the unknown. Sometimes we saw movement on the distant horizon, cyclopean shadows against the black of night. Some were of bizarre elegance, slender and tall, surpassing even the world's greatest towers in height but swaying to and fro in high winds other times the shapes were crawling and sprawling a formless mass just where the sunless sea met the sunless sky that stretched out all across the horizon while some danced in the darkness others were accompanied by strange lights shades of pale green and purple like the strokes on a painter's canvas always hazy never blurred enough to be dismissed as a trick of the eye. And there was something else, something lingering, something unseen, something incomprehensible and disquiet. Not a singular thing or being, but an all-encompassing presence that surrounded us, as if the sea and the sky and everything in between was alive. Even under deck, in the confined shelter of my cabin, I couldn't shake the feeling of being watched by a thousand eyes, of a thousand ears listening to my thoughts, to my heartbeat. But we soldiered on, braved the storms and the bone-chilling cold, and we reached what sailors call the archway of night in hushed whispers. Gargantuan monoliths emerged from the water in regular intervals, forming a natural passage along the steep cliffs of an endless glacier. The invariable distance between the sharp, pointy rocks was a rare constant in this world of shifting coastlines, but it didn't mean ease for my navigator. The currents were treacherous here, and the slightest inattention could alter our course, push us dangerously close to the glacier wall and its insidious ice carvings. Compass needles haphazardly spun out of control, only to rest calmly again one moment later. Nobody had returned from what lay on the archway's other side, and only the bravest of sailors had ventured far enough to catch a glimpse past the last towering rock formation. A maelstrom, frozen in motion eons ago, a vast basin that had become the last resting place of countless lost ships, they said. And beyond it, both the rumors and the world simply ended. No icebergs, no glaciers. No small floating islands. No stars or clouds in the sky. No howling winds. Not even fog on the water. Only an endless black surface under an endless black sky, each so tenebrous that they were indistinguishable from one another. Our journey would end there, regardless of what we would find in this graveyard at the end of the world. If the ship we pursued was not among the remains, we'd consider it lost, even more so than we were in this dark part of the world. We'd turn around, sail back to familiar shores where the gods could hear our prayers, where they'd guide us home. Icy winds howled and ghostly voices whispered within them, growing louder the closer we came to our destination. The moon played hide-and-seek behind clouds and shadows when we spotted the last monolith in the distance, but my gut feeling told me it was the nadir of the night. The perpetual twilight made it a futile endeavor to measure the time, and our instinct, sharpened by years at sea, was all we could go by. Before us the sea was shrouded in fog, and against all evidence to the contrary, it seemed as if our vessel was floating through clouds instead of passing through water. The outlook's hoarse voice startled me, as did the sudden commotion of my crew. A ship! There's a ship ahead of us in the archway! The man cried again and again as if he was trying to convince himself of the truth of his words. The murmurs of the crew, rushing to the rails on the main deck below my position, carried similar sentiments. Doubt and disbelief merged with fright and unease. I hurried to find my binoculars under my coat though I did not believe for a moment that what the outlook reported was real. It had to be a trick of the eye, a mirage in the mist. The ship we were looking for couldn't possibly be seaworthy after being lost for so long. Even our formal assignment to recover the captain's body and return him to his father for a proper burial was a far-fetched idea. At most we hoped to discover the wreckage, evidence for the ship's final demise, and the crew, myself included... Had long made peace with all the thought of finding nothing at all. And yet there it was. I saw a ship when I peered through the lens of my binoculars, a large vessel of indeterminate design. The creeping fog obscured the shape of its hull, and I could not tell the number of masts with certainty either. The dark, tattered sails thrashed against a dark, stormy sky, and my eyes could not find a flag amidst the flapping chaos but the most unsettling sight was the Forecastle. The ship was not abandoned, not adrift. There were hazy, phantasmal shapes moving about, and though my vision was blurred and hampered by fog, I was certain these were not merely two or three desperate survivors. "'This can't be!' I gasped. "'It is impossible anybody endured out here for so long!' A part of me wished we had eaten the deformed fish now. At least the consumption of tainted flesh would have provided an explanation for this hallucination. Yet I knew none of my men had even touched the strange creatures. We had cast the garbled beast back into the black waters they came from without taking a single one out of the nets. Our trusty barge had made voyages to the remote parts of the bright sea. We knew how to stock our cargo bays for long journeys. There was no shortage of food, no reason why anyone would have resorted to the bizarre catch instead of eating our salted meat, beans and bacon from our barrels. Perhaps they scavenged cargo from wrecks in the frozen maelstrom, my first mate suggested after some hesitation. There might have been barrels of pickled food they retrieved, and wood from shattered to keep their fires burning. Aye, it is possible. I gave back, though I didn't truly believe that it was. However, it was equally unlikely that there was anyone else in this place. The closest inhabited shores were far away in the south, located on the bleak rocks of the Forsaken Islands. Their strange denizens feared the sea. They built no ships. The seafaring peoples of the mainland sailed close to their coasts, maintained trade routes, but had no interest in an exploration of the northern ocean. It simply defied any logic that there was a seaworthy vessel besides our own out here, and it left us no choice but to investigate it. As far-fetched as it seemed, maybe the zealous captain had beaten the odds, had survived, could be rescued and brought back to Whitehill alive. What I saw when the mysterious vessel drew closer was even less possible than the explanations I had already dismissed, The ship itself was of great antiquity. The ravages of many centuries had to have taken a toll to account for its battered condition. How it was seaworthy at all was firmly beyond me. I spotted holes in the hull. The sails were even more tattered than it had seemed from the distance. The rigging was torn and tangled up, and one mast was missing altogether. And these were not men scurrying about on deck, not men in the sense we know them at least. Man-sized, ghastly creatures that defied verisimilitude and nature itself. That's what they were. In the sprawling chaos of the ship's main deck, nothing made sense. Yet it was there. Undeniable. Tangible and unfathomable at the same time. Ghostly shapes in all shades of the night. Pale faces stripped of flesh and human features. Wafting shadows in constant motion morphing into beings from beyond the scope of my mind. The deck itself seemed to be alive in the darkness, like a mass of black rats mindlessly crawling about in every direction. The most frightening realization was yet to come, and I felt the full force when it finally did. These creatures did not stand still, did not wait for us to pull closer to them. Instead, they moved with purpose, steered their ancient barge in our direction, adjusted the course made preparations to board us. My men must have drawn the same conclusion as they stood on the rails as paralysed as I was. Where every course correction was a struggle for us, these terrible creatures navigated the storm with apparent ease. Their ship, though larger and bulkier than ours, defied the laws of nature, braved the currents and shoals near the monolith as if they were not there. To the starboard side there were the cyclopean walls of the glacier. To our portside was the dark, open sea. Our only hope to escape the grotesque danger lay out there, in the baleful, black waters no man had ever sailed. Turn the ship! I yelled, my voice cracking. Take us out of the archway! Away from the glacier! It was the one chance we had not to become trapped between the icy walls and the apparition that had taken the form of a ship Who knew what dangers lay out there, past the ever-changing seascape and the last landmarks that aided our navigation, in the black void of eternal night? Whatever we'd find, in these moments the uncertainty doubtlessly presented itself as preferable to capture and death at the hands of phantasmal sailors. The crew scrambled to their stations, tried to carry out my desperate order, but it was to no avail. The unforgiving storm and the fog creeping up from the heavy sea worked against us, yet didn't hinder our ghostly assailants at all. Their bizarre, antique vessel drew ever closer, close enough to make out their nets and harpoons, spears and axes, inhuman faces and otherworldly appendages with the naked eye. Though we had made it past the monolith, the distance to our pursuers was shrinking with each breath we drew, The apparitions matched our course without the same struggles, followed us out to the void at a steady pace. The freezing wind carried groans, hissing, and ominous chanting to us, the frightening sounds growing ever louder, until they ceased altogether for no reason we could see. Though the howling of the wind was still there and had not changed in volume, it now sounded closer, more primal in ways I cannot explain. Today, I believe we crossed a barrier, one even older and stranger than the Vale, sailed through an invisible gate in our frantic attempt to escape. But back then, all we saw was the effect it had on our pursuers, the sudden hesitation in their movements, that their ship began to fall back. Relief overcame us, followed by bone-chilling terror. If these bizarre creatures shielded away from these waters... What unfathomable doom awaited us here? Frozen in fear, we watched the ghostly ship and its sailors, and we slowly began to understand they had turned their attention to something else. They were clearly still preparing an attack, but we were no longer their target. Yet there was nothing but us out here in the void. The sea rose in anger without any warning. Pillars of fog and waves taller than fortress walls emerged from the black surface, accompanied by a droning noise that could be felt more than heard. We lost all control over our vessel. There was nothing we could do but cling to the rails. Around us, the mist seemed to be glowing, an absurdly mellow, crystal blue light that permeated through the vehement gale and the ferocious waves. The forces of nature, or something beyond it, came down upon the ghost ship and its terrible creatures a hazy shape too enormous to fathom attacking in blue glowing rage and then it was gone all of it the turmoil had lasted only a few endless heartbeats and it left nothing behind nothing but us the ancient battered vessel and its grotesque crew had vanished the glow of the waves the air And the mist had faded into ominous darkness. All that echoed in the wind now was a distant primal growl, the kind a beast utters after a sumptuous meal. This is how we survived at the whim of an unseen, mysterious entity that minded its own business in its own world. In its benevolent ignorance, a hungry beast saved us, perhaps even utterly unaware of our very existence. We gave up the search for the ship and its delusional captain. After all we had seen or not seen beyond the veil, we didn't want to challenge our luck. We returned home, against all odds in one piece, and became the world-weary sailors who share their incredible yarn in taverns and inns. Warn people to not venture to the edge of the known, to not wake the sleeping giants that linger beyond the veil of the world.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: I hope you enjoyed Beyond the Veil as written by a very talented anonymous author and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 15, Alex Hill Knight. Up next, we've got another tale for you. This one courtesy of author Sam Hasem as voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 48, David Nagel. In it, a father investigates the cause of his young son's agitation after he's told something sinister was seen on, of all things, a pet camera. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's first sponsor, Euphoric. As I mentioned at the top of the show... Euphoric is the innovative, patented hemp oil infused chewing gum that the entire CBD industry is talking about. What makes Euphoric so special, you might ask? Well, first of all, it's not your average gum. In fact, it's an innovative, patented delivery system. You see, as a chewing gum, Euphoric brings innovation to the CBD market in that its patented delivery system is time-released and all the action happens in your mouth. The gum's flavor and consistency make it possible to chew it longer. And did you know? Chewing the hemp oil-infused gum longer increases absorption in the mouth. In fact, euphoric hemp oil-infused chewing gum has the best absorption rate on the market, 84%. Compared to edibles like gummies and tinctures and even capsules, Euphoric's absorption rate is about 50% greater. This is because edibles have to pass through the digestive tract, which breaks down the ingredients and drastically reduces their absorption rate. Euphoric, however, keeps the hemp oil-infused gum in the mouth longer, completely bypassing the digestive system. Plus, Chewing in and of itself just makes sense with a superior product like Euphoric in that chewing has its own health and wellness benefits. The simple act of chewing has been scientifically shown to help improve memory, cognitive function, and oral health, and even reduce anxiety. Euphoric combines these powerful chewing benefits with the heavily researched benefits of full-spectrum hemp oil which is superior in that it's rich in naturally occurring phytocannabinoids, including CBD, that works together synergistically. This is called the entourage effect, essentially meaning that a team of phytocannabinoids work best together than anyone that's isolated. It's a party in your mouth, and that's why euphoric is the best gum you'll ever chew. Not only is Euphoric best for all the reasons I've already mentioned, but it's also 100% legal in all 50 states. Not to mention gluten and sugar-free and non-GMO. It's sweetened with xylitol to support dental health and formulated by an international team of doctors and oral surgeons. Not to mention rich in omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. And best of all, will not produce a high, so you can rest easy knowing you'll get all the benefits of the product without unintended side effects. Oh, and it tastes great, and its flavor is long-lasting. What more could you ask for in a gum? You only need to try Euphoric once to see what all the fuss is about. To prove it, a limited supply of free trials has just been released nationwide. Just visit this website chewthisgum.com to claim your free trial today while supplies last again that website is chewthisgum.com chewthisgum.com be sure to use that URL and promo code to let them know that Otis and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you thanks so much for listening and for giving Euphoric a try this month and remember, when you support our sponsors, you help support this program, and that means a lot to us. Now that we've assisted you in relaxing with the help of our friends at Euphoric, allow me to issue you a challenge. Let's see how calm you can be in the face of another terrifying tale. Without further ado from author Sam Hasen, As voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 48, David Nagel, I present to you, My son saw something disturbing on our pet camera.
3: It was the son of my son's voice that woke me. Matty was shaking my arm, mumbling the same thing over and over. His voice sounded tired, but urgent. Dad! 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 I shifted and opened my eyes. The bedroom around me was dark. A slither of moonlight leaked in from the skylight on the landing, enough to pick out Matty's silhouette at my bedside. I tried to rub the sleep from my eyes as I pushed myself up on one arm. What? What is it, mate? What's going on? Dad, you have to come. I saw something. What do you mean? What time is it? I reached over to the bedside table and tapped my phone, bringing the screen to life, 2.48am I rubbed my eyes again my head still felt jumbled from sleep and the half memory of some dream I'd been having ran through my mind like fog, something unpleasant I tried to grab onto the memory but couldn't did you have a nightmare buddy? was that it? no, I mean yes but it wasn't in the nightmare that I saw the thing dad that was after I woke up I woke up and I hang on, hang on, wait a minute Matty's face was half hidden in the shadows I reached out and held his arm lightly tell me what happened slowly mate and start from the beginning what was this nightmare you had if I'm honest I only asked the question to try and calm Matty down help him get his thoughts in order I didn't really need to ask it though because I already knew the answer the poor kid's been having the same bad dream ever since me and his mum split up ever since she moved out a couple of months back Grace left me for some rich guy she works with and she took our son with her "'stuck me with a dog in an empty house. "'I suppose I should count myself lucky I still have those, "'but if I'm honest, it's hard to see a silver lining at the moment. "'And it's especially hard when I see the toll the whole thing is taking on Matty. "'The kid started wetting the bed again. had not done it in years, but now Grace says it's almost a nightly thing. "'He'll wake up in the early hours, sometimes screaming, "'and his sheets will be soaked through. "'Grace isn't exaggerating either. "'The poor kid's done the same thing almost every weekend he's been to visit me. "'Sodden pajamas cries in the night, bags under his eyes at breakfast. When I ask him about it, he always says the same thing, too. That he'd been having bad dreams. The same bad dreams. A nightmare where he's lying in his bed, trapped, and the devil is standing outside his room, tapping on the window, trying to get in. His mother and I broke up, and now the kid sees fucking Satan whenever he shuts his eyes, like he's in hell. I'm no therapist, but I don't need a qualification I know how badly we fucked him up to him the world really is ending all of these thoughts and memories whirled through my tired head as Matty stood over me, pyjamas still ruffled from sleep, you can probably guess what conclusion I came to that when the kid said he'd seen something it was all part of his nightmare bad dreams blurring into real life but what he said a moment later made me pause it's nothing to do with my nightmare dad, Matty shuffled on the spot, rubbing one arm it was something I saw in the kitchen I think someone might be down there Somewhere on the ground floor of the house, as if to prove Matty's point, I heard a soft creaking sound. Matty stiffened, but I didn't pay it any attention. My house is like any other Victorian property. Now and again it creaks, floorboards expanding, pipes in the wall, the neighbours. If you jumped at every little sound, you'd be constantly on edge. I was also busy running what Matty had just told me back through my head, trying to make sense of it. It was something I saw in the kitchen. It took me a moment, but then I got there the pet camera. That had to be it. A month or so after Grace and I split, in an effort to cheer Matty up on one of his weekend visits, I bought a little camera for the kitchen, one you can link up to an app on your phone. The camera sits in a little tower on the floor, and the idea is you can tune into it to keep an eye on what your pet's up to. Our chocolate lab, Bella, is about the only thing that can bring a smile to Matty's face these days, so I figured he'd like to be able to check up on her. Watch her snuffling around in my kitchen, even when he's at his mum's new place. Speak to her through the mic. The little tower even stores dog treats inside it, which you can fire out of a little launcher by touching a button on your phone screen. Matty loves it. As I pushed myself into a sitting position, the conclusion I'd already come to was this. Matty had woken from his bad dream, and he'd struggled to get back to sleep. So to calm himself down, he'd open the PetCam app on his phone. Maybe he'd decided to watch Bella for a little while. The camera has a night vision mode, so he'd still have been able to see her. Obviously, it hadn't worked, though, and I thought I knew why. The night vision mode on that app is creepy. Everything looks odd. The picture is all grey and green, like in a horror film. No wonder it had made the kid even more spooked than he already was. Look, mate. I try to speak slowly and make my voice as reassuring as possible. I'm sure it's probably nothing. I'm guessing you mean you saw something on Bella's pet camera, right? You saw something on your phone just now? Matty nodded his head. Right, okay, well, trust me, I've looked at the app at night before, too, and I'm not surprised it freaked you out. Something looks all shadowy and green, right? Like some creepy twilight world. If you saw Bella down there, her eyes were probably shining in a weird way, and... No, Matty's voice cut across mine. Bella was asleep, Dad. She was in her basket. My son glanced away from me in the direction of the open bedroom door. "'out towards a moonlit landing beyond. "'When he next spoke, his voice was barely above a whisper. "'It wasn't Bella's eyes, and it wasn't the weird light. "'It was the shadow, Dad. "'I saw a shadow go past the camera "'like something had moved in front of it and blocked the view. "'I opened my mouth to respond, but that was when the noise came. "'Not just a creak this time, either. "'A sudden, sharp crash from the direction of the kitchen.' The stairs creaked softly below my feet. I crept down them as slowly as I could, willing them not to make a sound. It didn't work. The wood's old and noisy. Even in bare feet, I couldn't keep my steps silent. I was wearing only my boxers at this point, but my hands were full. Before I'd left Matty in my bedroom, I'd made sure to pick up the baseball bat I keep propped in the corner, just in case. If Matty had seen someone down there, a burglar for instance, and didn't want to meet them empty-handed... But even with the crashing noise I'd heard a moment before, I still wasn't convinced. Was my heart rate up a little higher as I worked my way downstairs? Sure it was. Was my grip on the baseball bat a little sweaty despite the cold? Absolutely. But that was only the adrenaline working through me, a natural, albeit irrational, response to creeping around the house in the middle of the night. If pushed at that point, I still would have told you that the noise was probably nothing, Bella knocking a chair over, most likely. And the shadow Matty had seen on the camera... Probably just a poor kid's overtired imagination, a hangover from the nightmare he'd had. Thing is, Matty's... sensitive. I know he is. After he started wetting the bed, Grace took him to see the doctor, and we managed to get him referred to a counsellor. Someone to help him work through our separation. Both Grace and I speak to her regularly now, that Matty's having his sessions, and one of the first things she told me was how susceptible the kid is. I can still remember the exact words she used... "'Some children are far more emotionally vulnerable than others, Mr. Norton. "'Far more at risk to big changes. "'Matty's mind is like a sponge. "'If he's happy, he can fill up with so much excitement he'll be fit to burst. "'But if he's unhappy, he'll feel it. "'He lets stuff in more easily than other children.' "'That was a phrase that stuck out to me. "'I suppose being in tune with your emotions is a good thing. "'But when I heard the counsellor come out with that one, "'it didn't feel good. "'It filled me with worry and guilt. "'Shame, too.' I kept thinking about Matty's recurring nightmare, the devil waiting outside his window at night, trying to get in. He'd let something in all right, I remember thinking after I'd met with the counsellor. Poor little bastards in hell because of us. With these thoughts running through my head, I reached the bottom of the staircase, paused and strained my ears. The house around me was silent. No sound from Matty upstairs, and no sound from the kitchen at the end of the hallway. If Bella had knocked something over... She'd obviously settled back down again now She wasn't making a peep I thought about switching on the downstairs light Then thought better of it Somehow it didn't feel like the right thing to do Even though the door to the kitchen was shut Any light I switched on would spill straight beneath the doorway If anyone was in the kitchen, they'd know I was coming There's no one in the kitchen A voice in my mind shot back Don't be an idiot, you're as bad as the kid getting yourself worked up over nothing The voice was right and I knew it but nevertheless, I still felt my hands tightening around the baseball bat as I started along the hallway, just a little, just to be on the safe side. Halfway to the kitchen, another floorboard creaked beneath my foot. I froze in a pool of moonlight, strained my ears once again. The only sound I could hear was my own heartbeat. It sounded far too loud, bang, bang, banging in my chest like a trapped animal. I rubbed my eyes and felt sweat on my fingertips. Forced myself to take another step towards a closed kitchen door, and then another. "'It was almost within reach now, close enough to open. "'All I had to do was reach out a hand, turn the knob, and push. "'So why don't you then?' whispered the voice in my mind. "'Stop fucking around and get it done so you can go back to bed.' "'Riding away of a sudden frustration at myself, I stepped forwards and gripped the doorknob, "'twisted and shoved. "'The door creaked inwards and I felt myself tense, tightening my grip on the baseball bat.' Something was wrong in the kitchen. I knew that straight away. Something was wrong. But at first I didn't know what it was. I could hardly see a thing. Weak streetlights shone through the windows at the back of the house. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to push the darkness away. It was enough for me to make out shapes, though. Objects hiding in the shadows. I could see the outline of the fridge on my left, humming away softly. And beyond it, the little dining table. On the floor by that table was a chair on its side and a thought... That must have been what the crashing sound was, flashed quickly across my mind. It must have been Bella after all, I told myself. She must have knocked over the chair and... Bella. The thought of my dog was what triggered the first realisation. The first realisation of what was wrong. Whenever I walk into the kitchen normally, Bella is there to greet me. She's always there to greet me. Even if she's not ready and waiting on the other side, the first sound I hear when I open the door is her claws scrabbling against the kitchen tiles... Only now, standing in the kitchen doorway, I couldn't hear her. I couldn't hear anything. And a moment later, as my eyes adjusted to the kitchen's darkness, I saw why. Bella was sitting in the middle of the floor, perfectly still, facing away from me. Her eyes glinted in the darkness like glass beads, staring at something I couldn't see. Bella, what's up, girl? I took a step forwards into the kitchen and shivered. That was when I realised the other thing that was wrong. The room was cold. Not chilly like rooms at the back of a house often can be, either. I mean, it was cold. It felt like I was stepping into a freezer. I felt a draft of icy air brush my right side, and when I turned in that direction, I saw what had caused the drop in temperature. The back door was standing open, wide open. The darkness beyond it stared back at me like an eye. Over in the middle of the room, Bella began to growl. A deep, low rumble. I turned back to her, but as I was about to step further into the kitchen, a voice stopped me. ''Don't. Stay away.'' I let out a yelp and spun round. Matty stood in the moonlit hallway behind me, his pyjamas hanging off him like a sheet. His eyes were wide with terror. As I stared at him, he lifted his arm and pointed a trembling finger in Bella's direction. ''Don't touch her, Dad. Please. It's too late. He's already inside.'' I could feel fear filling me up then, something close to dread, and because I didn't know what to do or say next, I did the thing that was most automatic to me. I flicked on the kitchen light, the room instantly filled with a yellow glow. It should have helped. It should have put a stop to the terror building in my chest. It should have ended the nonsense right then and there. When you're scared in the dark, turning on the light is supposed to make everything better. It's supposed to banish the fear and the unknown and the shadows. But this time, it didn't. I told you, Dad. Maddy's voice was a cracked whisper behind me. I told you he wanted to get in. I didn't respond. I couldn't. In that moment, when the harsh overhead lights lit up the kitchen, I could only focus on two things. The first was Bella's eyes. Those eyes stared blindly back at me, rolled so far up in my dog's head that I could only see the whites. That was bad, but it wasn't the worst thing. The worst thing was the kitchen floor. The marks I could see on it running along the tiles, the tiny trail that led from the open back door to the spot in the middle of the room where Bella sat, unmoving. Not human for prints, but the damp, cloven tread of goat hooves.
1: I hope you enjoyed. My son saw something disturbing on our pet camera as written by Sam Hasem and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 48, David Nagel. Up next, we've got a third terrifying tome for you, both written and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 24, Julio Cesar Miranda. In it, we'll find out just how powerful the human mind is and how concrete our memories when they're put to the ultimate test. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's second sponsor, Etitude. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Etitude are the makers of the world's most comfortable and sustainable bedding, made from organic bamboo, soft on your skin, and gentle on our planet. Here's a question. How'd you sleep last night? For me, it's a case of, well, being a little too warm most of the time, and I'll wake up once or twice during the evening uh, just to kind of turn the fan on or something to cool down. With attitude, sleep struggles are a thing of the past, thanks in large part to their use of clean bamboo. Have you ever heard of clean bamboo? Well, if you haven't, let me tell you, it is the holy grail Of fabric. You've probably heard about bamboo sheets. They've been around for years by now. But Attitude's clean bamboo is a different breed entirely. It's the third generation of bamboo bedding technology, and it's absolutely amazing. Thanks to advances in development, Attitude sheets are not beautiful, they're feathery soft. One customer said, and I quote, They make my 1,300-count Egyptian cotton sheets feel like sandpaper. Best sleep of my life. If you want to get the best sleep of your life, you've got to try attitude sheets. What makes attitude different from other sheets, you might ask? And why should I switch when I'm just fine with the ones I've got? Well, I'll tell you. The biggest reason for me is that they're cool. And I don't mean they're cold to touch. No, no. Attitude's organic clean bamboo is extremely breathable so it regulates your temperature to help improve your quality of sleep. No more tossing and turning, sticking your legs out of the covers during the night, then pulling them back under when you're freezing again. With Attitude, you can stay put and sleep better. Secondly, if you're not a hot sleeper and keeping cool isn't a top priority, Attitude sheets are the most comfortable and feathery soft sheets you'll ever try. According to customers, wrapping yourself up in their clean bamboo sheets will feel like you're being cocooned by a zillion kittens. Or feel free to insert your favorite fuzzy pet of choice. The point is, you won't find softer, more comfy sheets anywhere. And that means more rest and relaxation. And we could all use more of that. The sheets are so comfortable, in fact, that an editor at Goop said she and her boyfriend haven't needed melatonin supplements since their first time sleeping on Etitude sheets. The bottom line is, Etitude is bedding for the educated, conscious consumer. It's 100% organic bamboo made with a non-toxic manufacturing process. It's hypoallergenic, it's antimicrobial, and it feels great. The attitude difference is real, listener, and you can feel it, too. Why not give these amazing sheets a try this month and see for yourself? Attitude offers a 30-day risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your sheets for a full refund. They even cover shipping on returns. Attitude sheets. They're soft as silk, breathable as linen, but at the price of cotton. You're going to love them. When you support our sponsors, you support our show. And right now, our listeners will get 20% off their sheet set and free shipping. Just text TAILS to 64000. The only way to get 20% off your set of Attitude sheets and free shipping is to text TAILS to 64000. That's T-A-L-E-S two six four zero zero zero. Be sure to use that URL and promo code to let them know that Otis and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Knight sent you. Thanks so much for listening and for giving Attitude a try this month. Now that we've helped... I'll help you get the best night's sleep of your life. With the help of our friends at Attitude, allow me to give you the cold sweats, so you can test out your new sheet's cooling capabilities, courtesy of a third bone-chilling tale. As written and voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant, number 24, Julio Cesar Miranda, I present to you, Paradise.
2: And how's our final subject, DT-1? Subject 3239 is in a stable condition, Dr. Renard. Skeletal and muscular integrity is at an all-time low. As a result, gross motor skills are practically non-existent. The subject is ready for questioning. There is a 0.07% chance that the subject will escape from his life support cell. Hmm. But there's still a chance. I... I don't want him dead, DT1, but I want him completely futile. I don't want him to experience a shred of self-sufficiency through our little session. Do you understand? computing Understood, doctor. Fantastic. Now, let's let's listen in on a few more memories, shall we? Rebecca, do you remember when we first met? Oh, don't, don't make that face. You don't, you don't have to be so embarrassed in front of them. This is, this is our wedding. They're just the audience, as far as all this is concerned. This, this is a day for you and me. Our day. Our special union. Nothing, and I mean nothing, matters more to me right now than seeing you so beautiful standing in front of me, ready to become my woman ready to become my wife i've wanted this for a long time you know that i've i've worked for this i've bled for this i've fought for this and and prayed so long for this and now it's finally happening i came up to you in the mall remember you you were walking with ashley who can't seem to stop crying behind you <laughs> don't worry ash you'll you'll get your turn soon enough You're a dime piece if there ever was one, you know. Believe me, believe me when I say that your man will show up when you least expect him to. Hell, maybe, maybe he's here now. Any, any takers? Hell yeah, I'll marry her after you're finished with Becca. (laughs) (laughs) See, there he is. Oh, baby, I, I came up to you in that mall after having stalked you all day. Now, everyone here is going to think that was strange, that it was creepy, that after one look all I wanted for the rest of the day was to eventually come up to you and ask you to dinner, but none of them understand how I felt. In that moment, when I first laid eyes on you, giggling with your tearful best friend back there about whatever it was that you two were talking about, I knew that you were the one for me. I knew that I wanted to make you my wife. That that I wanted to make you mine. And now here, here we are. I look at you and I know that I have everything I could ever want. I look at you and I'm thankful to be alive. I'm thankful that I have this life to share with you. And I'm thankful that you're going to be a part of it from now on. So... Rebecca, Madeline Taylor. Will you marry me? Hmm. I didn't expect to see that so soon. Move on to the next one, DT-1. And make it hurt. Understood, Doctor. Computing. I want it to hurt more, DT-1. Give him scars. Understood, doctor. Raising all levels of electricity in the life support module. Fluid temperatures are now approaching 200 degrees Fahrenheit. The subject's epidermis is beginning to scald. Good. Keep it going for a few more seconds. Understood, doctor. The subject's epidermis has begun to bubble. The skin has been scorched. Excellent. Cool the tank down. Cooling. Both the life support module and subject 3239 are at acceptable temperatures. Fantastic. Fantastic. Wake him up. Commencing Commencing Subjects Revival
1: Where?
2: Where am I? Why can't I move? Why am I floating? Where, where, where can, can I, feel I feel my body? body? Where? where? Who are you? Who are you? What's, What's going, going on? on? Hello, Robert. My name is Dr. Andrew Renard. You don't need to know where I come from, what it is that I do, or why you're in your present state. I suppose that the only thing you need to know right now is that your life is going to change very soon for the worst I'm afraid not that you'll realize it when it happens you're able to speak to me right now through a neural network that broadcasts your thoughts through a speaker into this laboratory that won't last for long your memory is in the process of being repurposed as we speak eventually you won't even be able to recall the name of your youngest daughter let's try that Shall we? For the sake of things. Can you remember the name of your youngest girl? <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on. Tell Something me what's going, going on. on. Why, Why am, I am I in so much pain? much pain? The pain is temporary, Robert. please. Can you remember the name of your youngest daughter? I... She... She... her, Her name was... Is... Her name is... I... I... I don't... I don't know. Did I ever have a daughter... Why are you asking these questions I'm hurting so fucking bad? Excellent. Simply extraordinary. I have a feeling that you'll make for an outstanding juggernaut, Robert. I only wish you knew what that meant. Please. Please.
5: What's going on?
2: Security cameras have detected an approaching group of development personnel, Doctor. They will enter the primary laboratory in approximately three minutes. Thank you, DT-1. Robert, I'm... I'm going to ask you a simple question. And I want you to try as hard as you can to remember the individual that it pertains to, okay? (laughs) What are you talking about? Why, Why am I, I answering, answering questions? questions? I just, I just I want, want to know I am in so much pain. Rebecca, Robert. Do you remember Rebecca? Robert? Are you still with me? Rebecca... My wife... Amazing. Yes. Yes, your wife. So you do remember her. Where Where am am I? I? What What are you doing doing to me? Have have you you done done anything anything to her? her? Oh, no. No, not at all. You're the only one in any sort of peril. You're Robert. <laughs> so, so why? You're in the process of becoming another weapon for our government, Robert. I suppose I'll spill the beans, especially since that sentimental portion of your memory hasn't been utterly demolished yet. You're set to become a tool, a tool to be used for the sake of brutish, senseless violence for many many years to come. I don't very much care for what the men seated at our government summit have decided to do to good, capable marines like yourself, but they've somehow decided that it was best for the future of this great nation of ours to permanently change you, to mold you into something that would unfortunately never be accepted into society at large ever again. Which Of course. Includes your dearest Rebecca. I'm sorry to tell you this, Robert, but... You're never going to see her again. Robert? Robert. This is going to be very, very important for you to hear. So I'd pay attention if I were you. (laughs) If... (laughs) If you you were were me. Yes, that's right. You're probably finding all of this hard to believe. The reality-shattering sense of confusion. The unbelievable pain. But it's all real. It's all real, Robert, I can assure you that. Just as real and as powerful as the feelings that you still have for the woman you love. But I have a heart, too, Robert. Don't we all? Don't we all have things that we want? Things that we never forget. Things that motivate us to stay alive, even in our most unbearable moments. The real question, the most important question, especially during moments like the ones that we're living through right now, through these incredible seconds is why I brought you back to consciousness. One and a half minutes remaining, doctor? Doctor. Ah, thank you, DT-1. I'll be finished shortly. Go ahead and begin the sedation process, but keep it gradual. I want him out only just before his makers walk through the sterilization tunnel. You wouldn't be able to comprehend the atrocities that the future has in store for you, even if I told you, Robert. But it is an important question, because I I didn't have to wake you up. Even though I'm overseeing major portions of this black, nightmarish operation, I could have left you to the disturbing whims of your new mothers and fathers. Those who work so diligently to shape you into the perfect killing machine day after crawling day. But I couldn't. I needed you to hear these next words from me, even if you'll soon forget them in the thick haze of a permanent dream. I've wanted Rebecca for myself for some time now, Robert. I don't expect you to remember the first time that we met as a trio. It may be impossible for you to remember given your given your debilitated state. But I've convinced myself for the longest time that she was too good for you. She was too good for you, but for some reason she just couldn't see it. We deployed together once, you and I, to the wastes of the Middle East, where I almost lost my life because of you. You always considered me so inferior, mocking my intelligence. My ability to program drones and other technologies. All things that would make the lives of you and your men easier. (laughs) Well, it looks like our roles have been seriously reversed, haven't they? It's my time to mock you now. It's my time to happily watch as the essence of your person is excruciatingly sapped away from you bit by agonizing bit over the course of what will to you feel like a lifetime. I wanted to make sure that you heard these words from my lips before you found yourself lost forever in the soon-to-be-empty caverns of your mind. Rebecca is soon to be mine, Robert, the woman that you love more than anything on the entire planet will soon fall victim to my charms. (coughs) And I'm going to enjoy every second of that seduction. I think that I'll name our first child. Yes, we will be having children. I'll use the same womb that promised you life to fulfill my own generational needs. I... I think that I'll name him Robert, if he's a boy, and Roberta, if she's a girl. Just to mock the filthy color of your memory. (laughs) You... you sick sick fucking... Sedation status, DT1? 85% 85%, doctor. The personnel personnel will arrive arrive shortly. shortly. Good, good. Dim the lights and unlock the rear laboratory door. I'm leaving. I've done all that I wanted to do this evening. Best of luck in your upcoming nightmare, Robert. (laughs) I'll tell Rebecca that you loved her till the end. While she sleeps beside me.
1: I hope you enjoyed Paradise as written and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 24, Julio Cesar Miranda. Up next, we've got one final round of frightening fiction for you, written by Micah Edwards and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 6, Jack Delmar. In it, we'll discover the ins and outs of ghost hunting, from the perspective of a new recruit, and why his first outing might just be his last. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's third sponsor, Parcast, and their latest podcast program, Killer Knowledge, the perfect addition to your weekly true crime and horror podcast lineup. Now, we perform fictional tales here on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, But even these, on many occasions, are rooted in truth or inspired by real-life situations their authors have heard about or experienced firsthand. But we all know that truth is often stranger than fiction. Just as thrilling. True crime shows are popular these days and for good reason. Who doesn't enjoy a mystery-filled romp into the unknown? ...fueled by fear and suspense. I know I do. Now, you might be a true crime fan. And you just might think you've heard every sordid story there is. But let me ask you. Are you ready to put your skills to the test... ...and be crowned an undisputed expert? Then try your hand at Parcast Network's new trivia podcast, Killer Knowledge... It's all the murder, mystery, and suspense you've come to expect from ParCast now in a fast-paced, interactive format. There's never been anything quite like this before. Every Tuesday, two competitors go head-to-head to to correctly answer multiple-choice true crime questions. Whoever gains the most points after 20 questions wins. Each episode dives deep, into a different shocking topic from history such as the Manson family Jimmy Hoffa and even the Jonestown Massacre with each question and answer comes additional context surrounding the event enlightening even the most knowledgeable true crime lover you can play by yourself challenge your friends and prove your prowess by sharing your results with Parcast on social media you never know You may even find yourself in the hot seat one day. Follow Killer Knowledge absolutely free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're in the mood for even more bone-chilling programs, check out ParCast's extensive lineup of shows on Spotify by searching for ParCast in the Spotify search bar or go to Spotify.com. If you enjoy what you hear, be sure to leave the team at Parcast a five-star review and a kind word and let them know that Otis and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you. Thanks so much for listening and for giving our sponsor a listen this month. Your support means a lot to both of us. Now that we've introduced you to the creepy side of 20 questions, allow me to add another riddle to your pile of murderous mysteries with our next terrifying tone, As written by Micah Edwards and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 6, Jack Delmar, I present to you... I was a ghost hunter for just one day.
5: Ghost Hunters Wanted. No experience needed. That's what sucked me into all this. That stupid ad. They even used the Ghostbusters logo. Totally illegal, sure, but it's a Facebook ad, and who cares, right? The familiar logo caught my eye, the text made me laugh, and I thought, sure, why not? And I clicked their stupid ad. Past Owners. That was going to be the name of their show. Well, show. It was going to be a YouTube channel. You know the shtick. Going into haunted properties, talking up the murderous history, getting excited every time there's a squeak or draft. Kiana was convinced that she had a new angle, though. Nothing to do with ghosts at all. Her hook was SEO and targeted marketing. She was fresh out of some ad school and was full of ideas about how to reach untapped markets and build a following. Her idea was this. Even people who don't care about haunted houses in general care about haunted houses in their town, right? People like hearing about themselves, and their hometown is enough of a part of themselves to scratch that itch. Kiana was sure that through keywords and location-specific ads, we could pitch each episode of the show to locals, people who weren't already burned out on the whole ghost-hunting thing. I was skeptical, but she was offering a regular paycheck, and it sounded like fun if nothing else. The no experience needed in the ad was because she'd already lined up her camera guy and tech folks. All she needed was a gopher to do, well, everything else. I had one big question for Kiana before I joined up. Do I need to believe in ghosts for this? She laughed. Definitely not. Only Emmerich does, and nothing against him. But we don't need two Emmerichs around here, that's for sure. So? I signed on as van driver, cord carrier, coffee getter, and general stuff doer. The team was small. Keana, Mirette, two guys named Jeff, and Emmerich. Everyone seemed genuinely pleased to have me on the team, and I was happy to meet all of them. Especially Mirette, who was smoking hot. She was the one who was going to be in front of the camera, so it made sense. Plus, she had this accent. Man... Definitely convinced me that Khan was going to be able to sell this show. That's all I'm saying. The Jeffs were in charge of cameras. Everyone called them Stan Jeff and Sit Jeff to tell them apart. Stan Jeff was the guy who worked the standard camera, the kind you carry around to film people with. Sit Jeff dealt with all the remote cameras. His whole deal was run from a control center, keeping tabs on a dozen different screens at once. Different skill sets, both camera-based, both named Jeff. I asked Stan Jeff if we could call one of them by their middle name or something, and he looked disgusted. Yeah, you could. Except his middle name is Jeff. Wait, he's named Jeff Jeff? No, he's named Mark. He just goes by Jeff to tick me off. He won't even respond to Mark now. If you don't call him Jeff, he just pretends he didn't hear you. Well, do you have a middle name? Stan Jeff looked offended. Screw that. I'm not letting him steal my name. I was Jeff first. And then there was Emmerich. Everyone else was mid-twenties, I'd say, maybe 30 for Stan Jeff, but Emmerich had to be 50. And a hard-worn 50 at that. He was a happy guy, always smiling, but he looked like he'd spent his entire life outdoors and only found out about sunscreen last week. His skin was weathered and wrinkled like a broken-in baseball glove. His hair was close-cropped and bristly. He looked kind of like Michael McDowell, only if he were a walnut. Emmerich was responsible for all the weird tech. EMF meters, infrared stuff, Geiger counter, defibrillator, regosser, don't quote me on the names of this, he lost me like six words in. Whatever weird stuff might pick up a ghost, Emmerich had it and knew how to use it. Between his hard-sided cases and sit Jeff's bank of computers, the 12-passenger van barely had room for the six of us to sit. "'You think this stuff can really pick up a ghost?' I asked him. "'Another skeptic, I see.' "'I mean, yeah, people die all the time, everywhere.' I really think I would have seen a ghost by now if they existed. Perhaps you have. Not all hauntings are equal, you know. Haven't you ever felt something watching you when you were alone? Or suddenly had your mood shift for no reason? Those are your ghosts? They're gonna make for some pretty lousy TV. We were walking around in the dark, when this man suddenly became creeped out. Ooh. <laughs> Amrick was unfazed by my mockery. Some ghosts are minor, some are major. If we're lucky, we'll find something in between. If we're not, my equipment's good enough to pick up even the minor ones. So the show might just be you pointing to a meter and explaining that this spike was a phantasm? He shook his head vehemently. Trust me, we see a phantasm? You won't need an explanation from me. Like I said, not all hauntings are equal. Your standard phantom, that's just a lost scrap of a person. You might not even know it's there without some serious equipment like mine. Temperature changes, tingling sensations, that's about as far as a phantom can go. A phantasm now, that's a full-fledged evil location. It's a space-bending, time-dilating, hallucinatory murder waiting to happen. Phantasms are sentient and sadistic. They will lure you in, chew you up, and swallow you whole. You spot a phantasm, you drop everything and run. If you still can. Emrick was staring me dead in the eyes. I opened my mouth to make a joke, but nothing came. Check, I said instead. Gotcha. Noted. I didn't get it, of course. But then again, Emrick still came along. So maybe even he didn't really get it then. It was our first location. Gana had found this amazing place outside of town. A full-on mansion called the McDermott House. It had some kind of intense past. hundred and fifty years old, since old man McDermott murdered his whole family and stepped himself up the chimney. Ghost haunted the attic, stared out the window forever. I don't know. I wasn't listening. I mean, I was listening, but Moret was reading, and so actually I was just listening to her accent and imagining other words. I kept the van on the right side of the road and got us to the McDermott house without incident, so whatever. I think I did fine. The setup went like setups do. Emmerich Sit-Jeff and I hauled heavy stuff into various locations around the house and ran cables as inconspicuously as we could. Stan-Jeff got a bunch of shots of the outside of the house and then filmed Morette talking about the history of the place. Kiana helped Sit-Jeff get everything up and running, supervised Stan-Jeff's camera work for a bit, and then probably took a nap or something. I don't know what producers do. She wasn't helping me haul equipment. That's all I know. Once everything was set up, we all ditched and went out to a nearby pizza joint to get dinner. Kiana wanted to wait until sunset to get started, so we ate dinner and cracked jokes until dusk. Then, headed back to the house. Sit-Jeff parked himself behind his display of monitors and declared that everything was rolling and ready to go. Stan-Jeff and Moret took a thermometer and an EMF and wandered off to film in various rooms. Emric had me grab some of the more esoteric machines and follow him off to take soundings or something. Kiana was off on her own, I thought at the time. Looking back, it was probably already too late to save her. Emrick and I were down in the basement when my walkie crackled to life. Where are you guys? Basement. Camera. Four? I flashed my light up at the wireless camera we'd fixed to the wall earlier, reading the tag. Yeah, four. No way. The walkie cut in and out erratically, fizzing with static. Nothing there, but... I waved my light at the camera again. See the bright light? That's us. Nothing but static came from the walkie. So I took a picture of the camera and texted it to sit, Jeff. Moments later, my phone buzzed with a response. It was a photo of the camera banks, centered on the monitor labeled Camera 4. It showed an empty basement room, the same one we were in. I glanced over at Emmerich's machines, which were completely silent. Emmerich was tapping on the walls. Both of us were completely visible to the camera. Ha ha, I wrote back. Earlier picture, very funny. Ask me if anything's really going on. On the walkie, I said, Basement's looking quiet. Stan, Jeff, Morette, anything up where you are? Come up, said a voice on the walkie. It didn't sound like either of the Jeffs, and it definitely didn't sound like Keanu or Morette. Jeff, that you? Come up. I looked over at Emmerich, who shrugged. Nothing down here, he said. We were almost out of the basement when Emrick paused. "'How many stairs were on the way down?' he said. "'I don't know. Like, ten? Twelve? "'There are thirteen now.' "'Okay, so it was thirteen. What, is that an unlucky number of stairs?' "'I don't think there were thirteen on the way down.' "'Man, if there are thirteen stairs on the way up, there were thirteen stairs on the way down. That's how stairs work.' "'There weren't thirteen. He said mulishly, shaking his head. I sighed and pushed past him. The ground floor was quiet. I thought about shouting, but something held me back. Instead, I reached for the walkie again. What room are you guys in? Come up. Upstairs, then? We're back on the ground floor. Up. Thanks, man. Helpful. I turned to Emmerich. Up, then. He looked concerned. I want to swap out some of my equipment. Back in the main room, the chair in front of the bank of monitors sat empty. Emmerich and I exchanged glances. Sit, Jeff, I said into the walkie. Where'd you go, man? I'm with the others. Come up. All right, I said uncertainly, eyeing the monitors. I couldn't see anyone on any of the screens. Emmerich's just grabbing some stuff. Come up and join us. "'Okay, yeah. We'll be right up.' I flinched as Emmerich pressed a small box into my hand. "'What it—' I started to say, but he pressed two fingers to my lips. For the first time since I'd met him, he wasn't smiling. He tapped the box in my hand, which had a post-it note on it. "'Turn this to Max,' it said. The box had a single dial, like a car radio knob. It had two rubber antennas sticking out of the top, and its back was a single speaker.' I gave him a questioning look. If you need to, he told me. Not before. I don't think... Emmerich put his fingers to my mouth again. With his other hand, he pointed down the unlit front hallway. In the gloom, at first I couldn't see what he was pointing at. Then, with a shock, I realized. The front door was gone. The large wooden door, with its half-circle of leaded glass above and rectangular window panes down either side was no longer there. Instead, the hallway terminated in a small alcove with a chair, lamp, and end table. It would have looked like quite the cozy reading nook, had I not known that it should have been where we entered the house. Emmer- I tried, but he pressed his hand against me harder, mashing my lips into my teeth. The walkie crackled to life again. Come up. Let's go up, Emmerich said. He held up a box identical to the one he'd handed me and looked at it meaningfully. Then back at me. They're waiting for us. Together we walked up the house's narrow staircase. I counted the steps this time. There were thirteen. The stairs led out into a dark hallway lined with doors. Everyone was closed. An aura of menace hung in the air. An almost palpable sensation. I could feel it settling into my lungs with each breath. I tried the first door. It was locked. Emmerich tried the one across the hallway with the same result. I glanced back downstairs. The steps stretched away into blackness, far beyond the reach of my light. Up, said the walkie. At the end of the hallway, a set of folding stairs led up to a gaping hole in the ceiling. I cast a pleading glance at Emric. He gripped his little plastic box and walked toward the stairs. With dread in my heart, I followed. The attic was dusty black and silent. Our lights barely seemed to pierce the air, illuminating mere feet in front of us. A splintery wooden floor stretched out beneath overhanging beams. Boxes and discarded furniture were strewn erratically about. Oh, good, said a voice. It came from the walkie, but also from above, behind, and all around us. You've come to join us. The walls heaved then spitting out a darkness with tangible form. I dove for the stairs, fully willing to crash headlong down them, but instead skidded off of bare wooden planks. Laughter echoed as I scrambled to my feet, searching desperately for an exit that was no longer there. Behind me, heavy footsteps thumped across the floor and static crackled. What? No! No! Shouted a facsimile of Sit-Jeff's voice, and I whipped around but saw nothing. Instead. A hand caressed the side of my cheek, and I heard Moret's soft voice in my ear. We've been waiting for you. A rough hand grabbed my other shoulder then, spinning me away. Up! Move! shouted Emmerich, pulling me to my feet. He dragged me across the attic, our footsteps drowned out by the cacophony of voices calling out from around us. Phantom hands grasped at my arms and clawed at my face, but Emmerich's presence was more solidly real than any of them. Was there an attic window? What? I I don't know. Maybe. Think. Emmerich towed me in a circle, the attic closing in around us. When we had first come up here, it had stretched out in every direction. Now, we were tripping over boxes with each step, and I could see all four walls with a sweep of the light. When we pulled up, did you see a window? A dormer on the house? A circular panel at the top? It doesn't have to open. It just has to be there. Think. The walls were closer now, no more than two steps away. They were closing in, forming a coffin. There's no window. There were no windows. There were no doors. There was no escape. Not is, was. Was there a window? I don't- And then a scrap of memory caught my attention. A piece of the house's history that Moret had been reading in the car. The ghost had been seen in the attic window. I was sure of it. Sure she'd said it. Yes! Yes, towards the street! An attic window! Then run! And with that, Emmerich shoved me away from him, dropping his flashlight to twist the dial on his plastic box to the max. As feedback squealed forth at an ear-shatteringly painful volume, the walls around us wavered, and for just one instant, I could see moonlight streaming through a window. I charged for it, twisting the dial on my own box high. A tortured electronic scream shrieked forth, holding back the walls as I dove bodily into the window, smashing through it into the wide-open night, twenty-five feet above the ground. I don't know how I survived the fall. The ground was soft enough, and I landed just right, I suppose. If you count three cracked ribs, a broken ankle, and a broken elbow just right, anyway. I do. I didn't even feel the grinding bones until I was back in the van. "'jamming keys into the ignition "'and slamming my broken ankle onto the accelerator to get away. "'And even then I didn't stop "'until the McDermott house was miles behind us "'and my body was screaming at me to stop and rest. "'That was almost a month ago. "'I don't know what happened to the others. "'Not exactly. "'I saw Emmerich at the end "'as I tumbled out into the air. "'He looked stretched, broken, "'his limbs bent into unpleasant angles "'and his skin pulled taut, Till it was starting to tear in places. But it was the look on his face that seared into my mind. A look of horror, hopelessness, and horrible comprehension, all blended into one. It was the look of a man who knows in terrifying detail everything that is about to happen, and understands that knowing will not make it hurt any less. I wonder if he knew he was saving me at the cost of himself or if he thought the window was the other direction was attempting to offer me to the house as he flung himself to safety. I don't sleep much anymore. Minutes at a time, maybe half an hour if I'm lucky, or unlucky, perhaps, because every time I sleep, I'm back in the McDermott house. Voices taunt me, bubbling up from the darkness. Hands grasp at my body, pulling me back. Hallways stretch away as I run down them, lifting doors out of my reach, and always... Always the whisper. Did you really think I'd ever let you go? I think I made it out in time. I remember the glass cutting my skin. The impact with the ground. I can feel the hard casts on my arm and leg. Bite my finger for pain. Pick away at scabs to see myself bleed. I'm sure that I'm here. But then again, that's exactly the sort of hope the house would want me to have.
1: I hope you enjoyed I Was a Ghost Hunter for Just One Day as written by Micah Edwards and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 6, Jack Delmar. Don't forget, all of tonight's performances were featured in the second round of this year's 2019 Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition hosted on our official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel on now and running for the next several months if you enjoyed the performances tonight visit our YouTube channel and vote on theirs and the other entries in the competition again you can find CTFDN and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube just search Chilling Tales for Dark Knights YouTube on any search engine or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation bar to see a current roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performances thus far. We, and the candidates, appreciate your support. We'd also like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider sounding up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, Euphoric, Editude, and Parcast's Killer Knowledge Podcast for their support of this show. Don't forget, you only need to try euphoric once to see what all the fuss is about. To prove it, a limited supply of free trials has just been released nationwide. Just visit this website, ChewThisGum.com. Claim your free trial today while supplies last. Again, that website is ChewThisGum.com. ChewThisGum.com. Also, a reminder... Our listeners will get 20% off their attitude sheet set and free shipping. Just text TAILS to 64000. The only way to get 20% off your set of attitude sheets and free shipping is to text TAILS to 64000. That's T A L E S to 64000. And finally, you can follow our friends at Killer Knowledge absolutely free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're in the mood for even more bone-chilling programs, check out Parcast's extensive lineup of shows on Spotify by searching for Parcast in the Spotify search bar or go to spotify.com slash parcast. Thanks again so much for listening. And for giving our sponsors a try. When you support these kind folks, you help support this very program, and that means a lot to us. I'm your host, Otis Jary, and it's been a pleasure, as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Ha 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 ha. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn about more of our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Otis Giant. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. If you're looking for some fresh tales while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel. Otis Jiry's Horror Storytime and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Or search for my podcast Scary Stories Told in the Dark where I perform four brand new tales every episode. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like to perform? We take submissions. Email us today at submissions at com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well. To get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every day, and don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing leave a kind word or a request don't forget to visit us at chillingtalesfordarknights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron in addition to helping us out you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad free downloads of all your favorite stories including those you've heard on this program We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?
0: (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs